What's going on, everyone? This is Jackson Nikolai from No Script. I wanted to take a second at the beginning of this episode to say that the audio gremlins have struck again, and Jacob's microphone didn't work when we were recording this conversation, but it was a really good one, and we had redundancies in place, so we still have the audio. It's just going to be slightly less quality than you are maybe used to hearing. So, just wanted to give you a heads up on that, and enjoy the episode. One of my favorite stage directions in this whole thing is Masha like comes up to him and says, what are you doing? And the stage direction says, he's simply obeying. <laughs> and he says, I was doing the reverse striptease. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, hello! Welcome back! It's another episode of No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. Today we have a script by Christopher Durang, who is just a hilarious, wild, absurdist playwright. This is one of his more accessible scripts, so if you're going to read something (laughs) and you're not well-versed or comfortable with absurdism as a theatrical movement, this might be a good place to start. Today we are talking about Vanya, Sonia, Masha, and actually I'm saying the title wrong. It's Vanya and Sonia and Masha and Spike. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) All those ands are important. Yeah, we're talking about this play. It's a relatively new play, uh, 2013, I believe. And uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're diving into it with uh, Christopher Durang. I'm very excited. I like Christopher Durang, Durang a lot. I read a lot of his one acts in college, so I'm excited to get to talk about this one. Yeah, absolutely. I, I used to play a scene from his as part of my kind of repertoire of scenes and monologues when I did stuff. I, I, I find him quite fun. Uh, this play was commissioned by the McCarter Theater in New Jersey, where it received its world premiere. Then it moved to New York City and played at the Lincoln Center Theater, and then it moved into Broadway and played at the Golden Theater in New York City. In 2013, it was nominated for something like six or five Tonys, lots of the performance ones, and then Best Play, which it ended up going on to win. Interestingly, the cast for all three of those productions was the same cast, and they are wonderful. At the time of this recording, there are excerpts, which seem to be used for ads, so I think that they'll stay, even if we spoil them. Uh, the excerpts are, you can find them on YouTube of this cast playing this play. And I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's so funny. What a great group. Notably Sigourney Weaver plays Masha and Billy Magnuson plays Spike. Yep. Yep. Some, some, some great roles for them in this play. I think the physical comedy alone with those two is really great. And it's something Um, you miss when you're reading it, right? So that's a good reason to watch clips alongside reading when possible. Uh, some of that physical comedy that's not even really written into the script, but is imagined in those productions really works and is quite funny. Definitely. And the chemistry between that group must have been awesome after, you know, three different houses and that long on the on the show together. Um, uh, we are going to synopsize the script real quick. Uh, we just kind of go uh, beginning to end and then we're going to be jumping all over the place. So if you haven't read it, we highly encourage you to read it. But if not, Hang in there. Uh, um, so uh, it starts uh, with Vanya and Sonia. Uh, they are uh, in this house that they live in, which is owned by their sister Masha. Now, notably, Vanya and Masha are are, are blood siblings, and Sonia is adopted. Um, 
But uh, Vanya and Sonia are living in the house currently. Masha is a movie actress, and she is, at the beginning of the play, not there. She is uh, uh, off, assumedly making a movie somewhere. Right, yeah, she doesn't actually live in the house. She lives all over the world where she travels and performs and just occasionally visits her siblings in this house that she owns and pays for. Yeah, notably that she pays for that—that right. that comes up quite a bit. She she is uh, the breadwinner of the group, uh, with uh, her acting career. Um, but it starts with just the two of them in the house, Vanya and Sonya, and they uh, have a number of interactions that I'm sure we'll dig into. That's they have a very um kind of loving but also contentious relationship between each other. Um, Eventually, a couple other characters begin to come in. There's Cassandra, who is the the cleaning lady, who is also kind of the resident prophet, um, or at least for the for the purposes of the play, she comes in and gives these these large prophecies of of impending right. doom and things to watch out for. If you haven't read it, we are not um, exaggerating or using a metaphor when we no. say that she's giving prophecies. She's like really giving prophecies, <laughs> right? Like oracles <laughs> from the Greek gods to these groups of people in long speeches, like the Greek prophets would give. And then also in sort of short, beware of this sort of statements right. <laughs> throughout the whole play. She's like, she's really, uh, I don't know about really, we'll talk about that maybe, but she's, right, right. she believes that she's a prophet. Right. No, like her pretty much her first line is about a half page to three quarters of a page uh, monologue that she comes in. She comes in just lamb blasting with prophecy. And then Vanya says, how many times do I have to tell you to just say (laughs) good morning? Well, she comes in and is screaming like, beware the Ides of March. (laughs) And they're like, isn't it August? Yeah, so so she's a, a, a through character that I'm sure we'll come back to quite a bit. Um, eventually, Masha does show up uh, because there is a costume party next door that she was invited to. Also, she uh, kind of uh, has ulterior motives that we'll get to eventually as to why she's returned. But when she returns, she brings with her Spike. Who uh, all, so so far the siblings are all in their fifties, right? Uh, there's uh, the uh, uh, Vanya's in his fifties, Masha's fifties, Sonya's also fifties, uh, and uh, Spike is twenty nine. And Masha and Spike are dating each other, um, which uh, leads to much hilarity as uh, they're kind of a lot of the physical comedy in this play is there are their interactions. Um, uh, so so they both arrive. There's this costume party next door and uh, various uh, family issues begin to get brought up within the context of this impending costume party and, and what it means as they all head out on the town for the night. Um, the other character that I'll just mention right away, there's only six characters in this play. Uh, the other one is Nina, who is the uh, niece of the next door neighbors, I believe. Yeah, niece of the next door neighbors, and she winds up meeting Spike down at the pond. Um, and maybe we'll jump off right away into talking about that. But she meets uh, Spike down at the pond and is introduced to the group as a fan of Masha's, and uh, kind of gets integrated into the group for this for this little bit of time. Right, and sort of a throwaway line, which I find hilarious is why she's over there in the beginning. As you said, Nina is this aspiring actress who's a big fan of Masha. And so she's out visiting her relatives and knows that Masha lives in the house next door or the house across the way. It's like a country house. You imagine they got fairly large properties. So the houses probably are quite a distance away from each other because Nina says, well, I was visiting my relatives and they said, oh, don't, you know, Masha's never there. You're never going to see her. Don't worry. And then Nina says, but I had my binoculars 
binoculars, and I noticed that you <laughs> came in, and they just kind of move on. <laughs> but you're like, she's got binoculars out watching the house. <laughs> you're so right. It's just such a throwaway line, too. Like, it's just slipped in. Like. Yeah. And it never comes up again that she was like, creeping on Masha's house waiting for her to come she says I saw you come in the driveway right, so then right. I went down and introduced myself to this random guy oh. in hopes that he could introduce me to you <laughs> that's right uh, all these characters are just so hilarious and uh, in both subtle and over the top ways um, just just all of them stay really true to their theme uh, Durang is drawing uh, quite a bit off of Chekhov's plays themselves those of you who uh who know Chekhov uh, who is a, a, a fairly famous Russian playwright um know that Vanya, Sanya, and Masha are all prominent characters from uh, various plays of his. Um, and, and some of the through lines do come through. For for instance, like uh, Masha is is fixed on what she could have been as an actress, and she uh, wishes that she could have been in Chekhov plays and frequently quotes them. Right. Um, in fact, she talks about, she laments the fact that she was not able to play Masha in Three Sisters. Yeah, yeah, yep. And and at other points, the the parents of these uh, these three siblings were uh, theater theater folk and active in community theater, and that's why they all got Chekhov names. And uh, so they they are well versed in the words and uh, moods of Chekhov throughout the play. Right, yeah, like their their parents were professors, and so they talk about how growing up, if like they didn't know the names of playwrights and things like that, <laughs> that the parents would get super mad and yep, watch yep. them in all of these crazy community theater productions. And so, if you know a little bit about Chekhov, you're gonna have maybe a, a more rich experience with the play because of how much he. I think that the more extreme end of the critical reception to the play calls this something like an adaption of Chekhov in some ways, a comic adaption of Chekhov, maybe Uncle Vanya or, or, or a play similar. I find that's probably a little bit extreme. It, it seems more like uh, Christopher Durang drew on this sort of a common knowledge base of Chekhov, which people of the theater know, and then sort of leapt off of that to tell this story with nods back to maybe the original content. Um, and, and honestly, if you don't know anything about Chekhov, you're still going to find the play hilarious. It's got a lot of other funny stuff in it. But if you do know Chekhov, even just a little bit, neither Jackson or I are Chekhovian scholars, but you know we both have degrees in theater, so we know who he is. I've right, at least right. read a few of the plays and have talked about it. So we have some common knowledge base. And if you know that, you're going to catch moments in the play that refer back. One of the most obvious ones is the character Vanya. When Nina comes over, she's helping him to write uh, to do a staged reading of one of these plays that he's writing and she's so they spend a little bit of time together and eventually she says you know you're kind of like my uncle <laughs> can i call you uncle vanya <laughs> and it's not i mean it's not a laugh out loud moment but it's the moment where the audience goes <laughs> i get it uncle vanya yep. yeah Absolutely. There's there's like the obvious moments of that. And then there's the more subtle ones like like, you know, 
theater historians would be like, well, a, a lot of his plays took place in one room. This play takes place in one and room. And in these this... country homes. Yeah, country on estates with beautiful views and places for people to and walk. And these, these like crazy metaphorical images like the blue heron, mm-hmm. which returns. And this, this you know, sister who thinks she's like a wild turkey. These sort yes, of deep yes. embedded images, as well as these themes of like one of the Chekhovian references I think that is hilarious is late in the play after they've returned from the costume party, both Masha and Sonia have this moment where they sort of break down and reflect on all these terrible things in their life. And they get to this sort of refrain back and forth, which is Masha going like, my life is over. And Sonia going, (laughs) I've never lived. And they sort of cry that back and forth. And those themes of like, I, I feel like my life is over and, and things are changing around me. And, and so you like, I've never really had a life. I've been stuck in this country estate my whole life. Those are like pulled straight from Chekhov oh, absolutely, as, as yeah. themes for the characters. And then to watch Christopher Durang turn them into these points of hilarity, of these two <laughs> sisters like cry, this refrain back and forth of how awful independently their lives are becomes this hilarious moment for anybody. And then that right. extra step of hilarity when you go, Oh, characters in Chekhov might literally say that. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's that's straight up from another play. I think from a, I think from a bad right. translation of Chekhov. Right? From a bad <laughs> translation, right. A good translation yeah. maybe will aim for a little more subtlety than that. But. <laughs> yes. No, I think you're right. I think it I think it resides in a realm of kind of an homage to Chekhov or or perhaps just uh, playing in the world of Chekhov, yeah. like these are the things that we all know about it, and so we'll we'll, we'll draw on them, we'll nod at them. But I absolutely agree that um, not not uh, being able to quote any of Chekhov or you know being fully steeped in them, I thoroughly enjoyed this play without getting probably. I'd say I didn't get like a good seventy percent of what is probably in there uh, for the Chekhov references. I, yeah, I really like the it. way that you put that. That this is a comic play set in the world of Chekhov in the universe that he imagines of human psychology, which is fairly rich and, you know, the sort of stories that he imagines of the world, Christopher Durang with his wild absurdism enters (laughs) and decides to tell his own story. (laughs) It's sort of like you can imagine, like if you gave a really good storyteller, like action figures of, of like star Wars characters or something, you're like, tell a new story with these action figures. (laughs) And you can imagine something totally new coming out of that, but set in this other world <laughs> right. that has this sort of common language. Yes, yes. Darth Vader walks in, etc. Yes. <laughs> Throws a <laughs> coffee cup against the wall. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that's a fun moment to jump back into kind of some of the moments that is 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 Sonya, is this like let's let's dig into some of these characters a little bit. Sonya and Vanya start the play with this argument over coffee, right? So uh Which there, is there's amazing. Ama- just I mean just amazing one, writing. Yeah. It's it's clearly a scene pulled straight from something that Chekhov would have written. These siblings yep. arguing about the sort of daily routines that they're stuck in and and can't escape. And then Christopher Durang just puts this crazy spin on it. So tell us about the argument. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, the argument is 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 based around a lot of it is based around just the delivery of coffee to Vanya. <laughs> Vanya is standing there with a cup of coffee already. He's kind of looking out over a kind of a nice device that this play uses is, you know, assumedly a bay window or a large window of their estate overlooks this pond. And that window is pretty much the fourth wall of the stage. Um, so they are kind of looking at out at this pond right at the audience for much of the play. Um, so he's standing there with his steaming cup of coffee in the morning and in walks Sonia with two cups of coffee and uh, she is delivering coffee to him and they get in this fight about <laughs> she she wants to be able to deliver the coffee to him every morning because it's like one of the two happy things in her day that's how the fight starts right <laughs> so eventually they yeah, like and she, he, and, and he, so she's like what do you mean you already have coffee I give you your coffee every day I have it here he's right. like well you were in the bathroom I know how to pour coffee so I just got right. myself the coffee Right. And they get they get into it, and she's like, "This is the only thing that I like about my life is giving you this coffee every." He's like, "Fine, we'll switch." And they switch coffee cups a few times yep, as they yep. go back and forth, and finally she just throws the coffee cup against the wall. Yeah, yep, shatters it. To, uh, you know, and back, his response backwards. is like, "This is how you're gonna be today." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. I mean that's great. That yeah. That that's a that's a ten minute play. I mean you could end it right there. Mm-hmm. I mean that that's an interesting piece of drama. Just the first three pages of the script. Yeah, absolutely. You and it uh, it really sets the scene up pretty well. I think it you get the feeling of these two people who have you know lived in this. This is very pretty secluded estate, nice house, apparently with a lot of grounds attached to it, but they're pretty secluded and they, you know, they live with each other. The other kind of interesting element is Vanya and Sonia. Again, Sonia is adopted and she at least professes some affection toward Vanya. Um, Yeah, at least at the beginning. And then that also, I mean, as far as I can tell from the reading of it, sort of disappears, Right. I'm interested in what you think about that, Jackson. That does, I mean, does that carry through in a way that I feel like I'm missing this sort of affection that she professes at the beginning? Do you think it's just a move in the scene, a sort of power dramatic move? Or I'm not sure what quite to make of that. That's a good point. And and just to be clear, we're talking about affection that goes beyond sibling affection. Right. She has feelings for Vanya. And Vanya is gay. He is he is he is saying that he is he's not able to return these feelings to her. Also, she's his sister kind of. And um so so that's the dynamic there. It's a good point. It it kind of does fade away after the first half of the play. I think you know, kind of digging. This is we're we're gonna just keep saying Chekhovian every once in a while. Um, but this is a very Chekhovian thing to have happen. Is these characters are alone together. They they care took Vanya's parents and Sonya's adopted parents until they died of Alzheimer's. So they were there uh, caretaking the parents as Masha was out making money to and and furthering her acting career. Um. And so they, you know, they went through a lot together and uh, that kind of uh, uh, kind of sibling love turning into something more is a is a is a is a an ancient theme. And um, it's a Greek theme. It's a Greek theme. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, so but you're right. It does fade away pretty quickly because she I think the, the the big inciting incident of that is Masha comes and then it's just like. 
everything everything else that has been their life from <laughs> from right, childhood yeah. comes comes to boil. Really, but. this play is as about as clear as it really ever gets about the sort of you know classic plot structure of establishing the routine and then breaking it with an inciting incident. I mean. Right. This, this, I mean, you could read, you should read this play and then you'd be able to draw the, you can, I mean, the whole play really, because there's also a pretty clear climax near the end of the play, which is not always true in drama, especially drama like Christopher Durang's, which tends to be on the absurdist form breaking kind. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's a really good point. Yeah. The, so yeah, I think I, 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 I want to like take another read at it and see if there's, I would, I would almost like challenge the individual playing Sonia to see if there's a way to keep, figure out what her relationship is with that. Um, because I don't, th- I, I do think it is honestly a part of her is, is that she's honestly feeling that at the start of the play and, um, and, and how to grapple with that would be interesting to kind of come up with as a, as a team. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they, they also have on this property a cherry orchard, which is another one of those uh, sort of points of contention, which occurs a few times throughout the play. And of course, having a cherry orchard, a big reference to uh, Chekhov's play, the cherry orchard. So there's all kinds of that stuff in the play, like we've said. But the contention comes because Sonia wants to call it an orchard. She says, we right. have an orchard of cherry trees. And Vanya's like, I mean, we have like 10 cherry trees. We have 10 trees. And she's like, that's an <laughs> orchard. An orchard. <laughs> <laughs> and then later in the play, there's like a pretty comparable conversation with Masha and Sonia after Masha reveals what she reveals, which we'll talk about here in a minute. And and Sonia's response is, well, what are we going to do with all the trees, the orchard that we have out there, the cherry tree orchard? And Masha's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's 10 trees. It's an orchard. <laughs> but, yeah, just... I mean, so you see this sort of comic moments occur throughout the play that do something to reveal for us the inner conflict of Sonia, which is this this feeling of her life being trapped and given away to taking care of these elderly aging parents who've since died. And now what's left? Well, she has this blue heron that she really cares about seeing every day. She has this orchard, which is, uh, you know, important to her in a deep way. She has this affection for Vanya, which is important to her in a deep way. And she's starting to feel like she doesn't have much else. And that maybe all of that, which is all that's left after the, the, the main pull of this middle part of her life, taking care of her parents, now that they've died, all she has left are these sort of cursory things that she can't she can't hold on to, right? Vanya doesn't have the same affection for her, in fact, for women at all. The cherry orchard is not really an orchard. The blue heron <laughs> refuses to come. I don't think the blue heron actually comes in <laughs> right, any but, of the scenes that yeah. we see. Yeah. So she's got <laughs> these deep affections for these parts of her life, and even those are starting to slip away. Mm hmm. Well, and even more so then let's talk about now the, the, the big incident, which lights a fire under all of the, the tenuous hope that she has in those things. Masha crashes in with Spike and um, tells them as per a prophecy that Cassandra said earlier on in the <laughs> earlier on in the scene that Masha is thinking of 
selling the house because and, it is becoming too expensive for her to continue making the payments. the is just crazy. Like, <laughs> the, Cassandra tells them, beware of Hootie Pie. Beware <laughs> of Hootie Pie. And this is a previous scene, and they're like, what? Who, <laughs> who, is, Hootie who is Hootie Pie? What is Hootie Pie? And she, Cassandra <laughs> says, I don't really know, but beware. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then the later scene, uh, um, Masha says, well, I was talking to my assistant, Hootie Pie. <laughs> Yep. And you just see Vanya and Sonia like, what? 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 <laughs> she said, my assistant Hootie Pie says that I spend too much money on this house. So I'm going to sell the house. Yes. And there, there's stuff like that with Cassandra's prophesying that like you could explain away. Like, I mean, she she maybe just like was on a phone call and right. heard that. Masha has an assistant named Hootie Pie. I mean, she she definitely uh-huh. answers the phone for them several times during the play. Sure, so something sure. like that, totally possible. Um, we definitely know that nobody's met Hootie Pie before because Vanya and Sonia are surprised about it. And Masha says that it's a new assistant. So there's no risk of that happening. But it's also possible that she has real prophetic powers because she yep. does seem to have real voodoo powers. She does. Later in she? the play. <laughs> that one seems hard to explain away, but I digress. We'll we'll get to the voodoo in a minute. Right, <laughs> sure. right. Let's return to that the selling of the house. Yes. So she comes in and says she is. I mean, that's pretty. The, so the the beats of this play, as I was kind of thinking about how to talk about the synopsis, the beats of this play are very finite. Like I could probably say what happens in this play in in less than five sentences. Um, you know, and so she comes in and says she's going to sell the another, house. Really, is another reference to Chekhov, almost in and of itself. <laughs> the sort of yeah. lack of plot <laughs> mm-hmm. is pretty yep. Chekhovian too. <laughs> very few beats. It's all about these really complex characters dealing with the very few beats of the plot and and so for you know a good solid two scenes probably much of the conflict is she's selling the house what are we going to do (laughs) well well, notably she doesn't bring up that she's going to sell the house until they're leaving to go to this costume party (laughs) right which is which she supposed you know everybody she Masha is so so set on everybody being so excited about the house and <laughs> or about the party. I mean, and how they all got to dress like her, and it's this whole big affair that they're right. all going to this party, and then they're all they've all got ready to go to the party. And Vanya <laughs> says something like, "Oh, by the way, the roof's leaking. We got to fix that." And Masha basically says, "Oh, don't worry about it. I'm selling the house. Let's go have fun at the party." <laughs> <laughs> and and then when they're like, what do you mean you're saying this? They start to fight her about it. She's like, oh, I shouldn't have even told you before the party. Let's just go have fun. <laughs> you're like, what? Yeah, yeah, completely. Can you derailed. really what? You can you really expect them to go have fun after you've you know pulled this incredible rug out from under them? Because like we've said, the house is a lot of what these characters have left. Sonya right. especially. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I would argue Vanya as well. I think Vanya is a less uh, volatile character in what he wants in this play. Um, however, the one he he kind of rests in the house, right? Like he is at peace at the house. He is not. Uh, he is not as bent out of shape, at least initially, about the the time that he has used in the world. He's he says, and I think he acts like he is pretty at peace. With, you know, what he is doing right now, waking up, drinking coffee, watching the Blue Heron, being, you know, in, in a life rhythm in this house. Um, 
but that's kind of all again that's kind of all he has so when the house gets threatened Uncle Vanya <laughs> yeah <laughs> wink wink nudge nudge <laughs> yep yep <laughs> So when the house gets threatened, I think we see another side of Vanya beginning to boil up a little bit slowly. That's kind of one of the, again, one of the big inciting incidents that sets Vanya on a, a pretty inflammatory path by the end of the play. Right, yeah. His his sort of rise to the climax of the play, which is this enormous speech that he makes about the changing times, essentially, is... It would it would feel unexpected, probably if if the if the part were played badly, and and the truth, which is true of this play and of a lot of Chekhov's plays, is that it requires a pretty significant amount of acting chops to really get at the some consistency in character, some journey of character, because it's hard to identify in Chekhov's play and in honestly the rest of Durang's work, not just this play. It's the character journeys are harder to follow straight through in terms of what's going on um, in the subtext of of the character. So for an actor playing Vanya in this play, it's it, it is the work of the actor to make the large explosive monologue at the end not feel like it came out of left field, that it's part of this sort of continual journey that Vanya's on of watching the world change around him. Mm -hmm. I completely agree that 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 subtext has got to be there. Otherwise, it feels like what the heck? We're, like we wind up sitting there like Spike does in that scene. We'll get to that scene eventually, but we wind up sitting there like, what? <laughs> what are you doing, Vanya? Is this really that important to you? And and I think I think you're absolutely right that the blocks are there to make it that important to him throughout the play. Right, they're absolutely there. There are definitely moments where you can see Vanya take a little initiative, take a little action, you know, do something that has some some energy in the scene because he's not all that much of a an actor. I mean, I, I think that if I say that, some theater folks will balk at me. But I mean, played badly, he's not that much of an active character in the play. Sure. Honestly, the same way as Uncle Vanya in the Chekhov script. Played badly, <laughs> both of those characters are really passive. And that, of course, is not what the playwrights intend and not what a good production gets out of them either. I really encourage anybody listening who hasn't done it to watch the clips of, um, I think it's David Hyde Pierce, play Vanya in the, the famous Broadway production and watch the way that he takes some of those lines that as you read they seem more sort of sit back and say quietly and watch him turn them into active um, th active uh, ways to get uh, his goal out of other characters. You know, he's really pursuing something in those scenes, which is harder to read just in the blank text. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. And, and like characters even like po point that out about him throughout the play. Like Nina says that about him. I, I forget the exact line, but it's in one of the clips that I watched on YouTube. She talks about him being this person who doesn't necessarily say everything all the time. But when, when people are, when people speak to him, he is absolutely willing to step up and, and be a part of, uh, be a part of things and, and, and kind of bring his opinion and his viewpoint into the world and, as, as a result. And of that, that scene is where she says, and can I call you uncle Vanya? <laughs> Right. <laughs> and everybody who's like Red Uncle Vanya is like, ha, because they're yeah. the same. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> that was completely lost on me before. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, we got to talk about the other two, the two younger characters right. uh, that we haven't given well, there, much time the to yet. There's three younger characters. One we've that's already true. talked about, Cassandra. And, and the... You know, the distinction between the older characters in the play and the younger characters in the play, I, I think, is important. Cassandra, notably, I think Durang says she can be played by uh, an actress really of any age. Um, there's no specifications. It, it does say that in the original production, this was a famous Broadway production, she was played by an actress in her early 20s or late 20s or something like that. And so she would be part of that younger group in that production, but she doesn't have to be. So let's set Cassandra aside and talk about sort of the distinctions between older characters, the three older characters, Vanya, Sonia, Masha, and the two younger characters, Spike and Nina. Yeah, so Spike we've already talked about a little bit. Um, Spike kind of crashes into the scene as this uh, very young, very sexual male uh, actor who is dating Masha, and their their relationship is very uh, physical and publicly physical. Uh, they you know they wind up kissing and embracing a lot around their her siblings, and uh, and and talking about you know we're going to go upstairs. Um, and uh, <laughs> one point Masha just come downstairs and is like, "Oh, Spike was amazing last night." <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, so they are very, very, you know, very sexual energy as and, as Spike, and Spike is in the is room. Spike is just like one of the things that people actually the characters notice too, which makes it all the more funny, is that he's just constantly taking off his clothes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He like... and, and any given scene, he's in various stages of undress, playing mm -hmm. a lot of his first scene just in his underwear. Right. Yeah, yeah, which is cued by him, like, he, like, steps forward into the room and, and after someone has said, you know, yes, I think Spike is a very attractive man. And he says, I'm hot. <laughs> and, like, begins taking off his clothes to go swim, swim down Swim, because the pond. He, he's, like, he really means it, like, I feel warm. I feel warm. <laughs> Maybe, right, right. but he, it's also... Uh, I mean, he, he just has a lot of really funny moments like that. In the same scene, he comes back in from having swam in the pond with this attractive young woman, Nina, with him. And eventually Masha realizes, oh, Spike, you're still in your underwear. Why don't you uh, – and she's trying to make a joke. She says, why right. don't you go do a reverse striptease? And so yep. he does. He does. <laughs> he like, he's like, I'll put my pants back on. But I'll leave the zipper undone because I know I'm gonna tuck my shirt in. <laughs> and the, the, one of my favorite stage directions in this whole thing is Masha like comes up to him and says, "What are you doing?" And the stage direction says, "He's simply obeying." <laughs> and he says, "I was doing the reverse striptease." <laughs> <laughs> or in the same scene, there's another great stage direction that just says. Vanya watches him unabashedly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's Spike. A lot of Spike is that in this play. It's just this this kind of, you know, goofy, a little bit, he misses a lot of things, um, <laughs> sexual character. Um, but then there's Nina, who is brought into the scene, meeting Spike as he was swimming down in the pond. And um, Nina comes in as this, you know kind of a blast from the past sort of woman who is in her young 20s, but she loves Chekhov plays. She listens to Beatles music. Um, she really wants to meet Masha, but then winds up forming a pretty strong connection with Vanya over a play that he has been writing uh, kind of secretively throughout uh, his time here. And she is this... I, I, 
like what what do you even categorize this type of character who kind of again throws everything off but in a very different way as as she comes in well it it's sort of a way to maybe avoid making this play about how stupid young people are, right? Because mm. Vanya, Sonia, Masha, and Spike, right? That's the title. <laughs> and it, uh, without Nina, I think that the play might be boxed into this sort of anti-millennial uh, rant. Uh, you know, it's about these three older people sort of struggling to catch up and to understand why things are as dumb as they are right now. Right. And then you get Spike, <laughs> who's the highlight of all the dumb things in the world. <laughs> and so it could be cast in sort of this anti-millennial light. But then you get Nina, who's uh, uh, as the other young character and is just sort of this bright light to the whole room, to all of the characters. She, she sort of reaches out and shines a little bit of her young person life into each of their lives, even into Masha's life. And Masha does not want any of that. Right. She hates her because Spike is sort of this sexual flirty guy that he is, is of course always talking to this Nina, who is this young, beautiful, luminescent young woman. And so Masha, being an older woman, dating this younger man, just has an incredible amount of jealousy about Spike and uh, Nina. But even she gets receives some of this just <laughs> earnestness out of Nina. Right. Earnestness at like all costs too. Like right. <laughs> Masha will like even say, I'm just being, you know, I'm just being really stubborn or something like that <laughs> about this. Or... Like, Masha's just like, I'm just being such a bully, aren't <laughs> Right. <laughs> and like, Masha's like, that's fine. Yes. I'm just glad to be included. Uh-huh. Or Nina, Nina, Nina says yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> and you honestly, except for the fact that it's just a little bit long, you really could call the play Vanya and Sonia and Masha and Nina and Spike. <laughs> because Nina, yeah. although it's not, it it doesn't have the same sort of ancient Russian ring as Vanya, Sonia, and Masha. It's not like Spike either. It's right, also right. sort of a two-syllable, um, uh, it, it's got a rhythm to it, like Vanya, Sonia, Masha, Nina, Spike. Right. <laughs> and so she's almost this in-between character where her sort of social values are more closely align with the three characters in their 50s, but her age more closely aligns with Spike. Yeah, yeah, I like that a lot. That kind of crossover character, someone to give some, some uh, you know, hope to the younger generation in this play that uh, maybe... maybe <laughs> fights them a lot on a couple of the things that they are bringing about. Um, and, and, and you're so right that she like, she like really goes and, and despite the fact that she's just there, she admitted or admits that she's just there to meet Masha. She invests in all of these characters lives and you get the feeling that whatever they wind up doing at the end of this play. And a lot of things do change in their lives at the end of this play. Um, but uh, whatever whatever that is, I think Nina's going to be some sort of part of it. She forms, like, last, I think, lasting relationships with these characters basically over the course of one day. Right, yeah. She, I mean, she just comes in and immediately really is uh, friends with Vanya. They sort of immediately form this sort of uncle-niece bond, right? Right, um, right. But she doesn't immediately get that with Masha. But by the end of the play, I certainly think that she does. Mm-hmm. 
Let's. Talk, I, I definitely want to talk about that play or this bond between uh, Nina and Vanya, but I also think we got to talk about the party, and I think the the bond between Nina and Vanya is going to lead us to the climax of the play. So we'll we'll put that on the back burner for now and talk about the party, which is this kind of cataclysmic event, right? It's it's what Masha and Spike crash in to drive them all to. Um, uh, she uh, Masha, as we have said, has been. Uh, ordering everyone around they have to all be snow white themed because her costume is snow white with the shepherd staff um <laughs> and uh, she wants everyone to be dwarves well vanya is perfectly happy to be a dwarf but sonya is not on board at all um so she goes off and gets an, a quote-unquote evil queen costume but winds up playing like maggie smith right. <laughs> from from a <laughs> <laughs> so she goes as this kind of glamorous uh, Maggie Smith about to accept an Oscar from a film. And um, and then uh, Spike is going as Prince Charming. Nina shows up as a kind of generic princess and Masha makes her dress up as Dopey instead, um, which is another one of those scenes where Nina just is like, oh, thanks for including me. Right. I'll do whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but they come back uh, from the party, and it does not go as planned by Masha. Um, what are some of the ways that it kind of devolves uh, from 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 what she was hoping for for the evening? Well, what seems to be her main complaint is just that people liked Sonia more than her, <laughs> especially in terms of her costume, because Sonia comes in this incredible gown and tiara and sparkles. And, yeah, sequins. And loves the creativity of her pretending to be Maggie Smith. Um, and, but Masha, you know, planned to go as Snow White with all these dwarves and sort of make this entrance that everybody would ooh and ah at her. And she ends up, not only do people prefer Sonia, but they also don't know who Masha is supposed to be. They don't know this costume, right. which is the original Disney animated Snow White. And yeah. so she complains that nobody knew who that was. And so that's another moment where this sort of running theme of the changing world is highlighted, that even Masha gets caught up in it when this sort of part of her upbringing, the Little Mermaid, Snow White, people don't recognize those parts of her childhood anymore. Mm hmm. Yeah. Nina even uh, uh, towards the towards the first scene of the play says that and she's like, oh, I never saw Snow White, but that's cool. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So that's that's a big one. Uh, <laughs> Spike goes off in his own direction. She says that he's flirted with like you know five other women who were there or something right. like that, yeah. and drives Nina home. Right. And one of the kind of notable things that creates a big moment of conflict, or or at least um, admitting to conflict <laughs> uh, from Masha, is he says he kind of throws over his shoulder as he's about to leave to drive Nina home. Don't wait up or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> insinuating that he might be out for a while. And so uh, that drives that's Masha. What, what causes what I was referring to earlier, this breakdown where Sonia and uh, uh, Masha go back and forth saying, my life is over. I've never lived. The sort of inciting incident of that is Spike leaving and kind of mumbling, sort of saying, don't wait up as he's about to drive this beautiful young woman home. And Masha right. talks for a minute and then goes, wait a minute. Did he just say, don't wait up? <laughs> And what ensues is this argument between Masha and Sonia uh, about the party, about the fact that 
Masha has always been this sort of outshining of Sonia. And this one night, Sonia maybe was the star and Masha can't stand it. And then it goes back and forth to how because Sonia, you know, had to stay and take care of her parents. She didn't get to have a life. But Masha says, what I had, I was the one who had to work so that you could stay home and take care of our parents. So, you know, all this sort of family personal history gets dredged up and thrown into the fight, which is really initially just about what costumes they wore. Right, right. That is the scene that gives Masha just a little bit more, like, I think for much of the play, we are kind of like, oh my gosh, Masha, you could be nicer to these people. Um, but that scene where she talks about the the care that she did show to both Vanya and Sonya, like she she basically paid them as well. Like she made enough money to both pay for the house, take care of her parents who both had Alzheimer's and likely needed a, a deal of treatment for that. But then also she paid for Vanya and Sonya basically to live and to, uh, you know, have, they call it an allowance that she is still paying them. Um, but that's, I right. mean, and, that's, and a, that's a new element of the story that we haven't gotten yet from Vanya and Sonya's gripings. We knew already that Masha, own the house. But now we learn that she's paid for everything, that Vanya and Sonia have contributed no income, and that she's actually been paying them an income to take care of their parents, and now is still paying them because she knows that they can't work because they don't have a work history at all. Right. And mm -hmm. we learn that Masha had to give up her dreams of being like a classical real actress in order to make the money to pay for all of this. So what she right. had to do is all these sort of commercial movies that she right. hated, but that made her a celebrity uh, and made her a bunch of money. But she mm -hmm. only really did that as a way to pay for this life for the, to care for their parents that so that Sonia and Vanya now complain about all the time. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it kind of equalizes the three siblings in this scene. This this, you know, cataclysm event brings them all to this point that that, that they're resting in silence and they have a couple nice, you know, uh dramatic romantic lines about silence and then Spike comes home and it all just kind of flips back again. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, you get the sense that like given some time to really spend together, these three siblings could work out a relationship that allows for their coexistence. But because they only meet on these sort of crash course encounters, Masha ends up saying things like, every time I come back here, I leave unhappy. But they yeah. don't ever really spend this time together because when they sit and talk, they sort of discover these common points between them. And, and then, you know, maybe if that were their path going forward, there'd be more there to their relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that would be interesting to, you know, see another play that's like, you know, just them stuck with each other for a long time on a cabin retreat or something and right. see what actually comes Snowed out. in or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then the next scene hits, right? And it starts right away with uh, the, the voodoo business that we have alluded to. Um, we're kind of going linearly through this play, but it is such a nice slow build throughout this play. I don't mind that we're, we're kind of, yeah, we're going linearly and I, I, I like it. So Cassandra starts the scene. All the time so far, we're still worried about uh, Masha selling the house, right? right? And, and we're still wondering what the heck is up with Cassandra? <laughs> 
like a few times she's given prophecies and a few times they come true, like this hootie pie thing. But it's like, well, maybe she heard that on a phone call or something, I guess. But then Ivanya and Sonia are like, one time she said there was going to be a bat and there was a bat later. But then you're like, well, but they live in a farmhouse. Right. <laughs> so right. there's bats. And yep. also, I mean, she might have let the bat in. I don't know. <laughs> And, no she, and then and Sonia's like, and one time she told me I was going to stub my toe, and I stubbed my toe. And Vanya's <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, but that might have just been like because she put it in your head, you right. ended up stubbing your toe. So there's this <laughs> looming question of the reality of Cassandra's powers. Uh huh. Uh huh. And then what happens? <laughs> and then the beginning of this next scene, she comes in with a little doll dressed as Snow White. <laughs> <laughs> and starts like muttering things and pricks the doll and from off stage we hear this ah! <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, then as like, that I mean the first time has got to be just hilarious and just yeah. explosive with laughter but then she does it again and again <laughs> and again yeah. And begins to like try to channel thoughts into the voodoo doll. Don't sell the house. Don't sell the house. (laughs) And if you think about selling the house, you're going to feel this. Stab. (laughs) (laughs) And then Vanya comes in and like catches her doing it. And is like, oh, you shouldn't do that. And she's like, I know. I'm sorry. Do you want to try? (laughs) (laughs) And so he tries it and it doesn't work for him. And then Uh she takes it back and stabs it again. And you hear. (laughs) So I think pretty clearly she has some she has power. voodoo powers. <laughs> yep. I mean, what is that about? Yep. <laughs> Which leads off to another one of the great little payoffs of this play. Much later on, she and uh, Mar- uh, Masha begin to come more eye to eye eventually. And uh, she <laughs> Cassandra says, I want to apologize for something. And Masha says, what? What for? She's like, I'm not going to tell you, but I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just clearly this moment. Yeah. <laughs> that, no, that line's so funny. Yes. Uh, and, and so they come downstairs, and one of the things that happens in that ensuing scene is that Sonia gets a call from a gentleman at the party the night before. And she has this call where she's sort of bewildered that this guy really is interested in her at all. And she continually asks things like, are are you sure you want to ask me on a date? Are you sure you know who you're talking to? Do you, are you, uh, are you like jobless and living with your parents? I mean, what's, what is the deal? Why? Because she's never had any encounter like this before. But a gentleman right. that she met at the party the night before liked her and called her and wants to take her out on a date. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and that, that's that's one of the more poignant ends to the scene. They're all very, very nice ends to the scene, but she hangs up the phone after, you know, this is a good a section of the play. It's probably five to ten minutes of stage time that she is talking to him on the phone. And she just sits there and realizes what has happened. <laughs> that, you know, this this person, assume, I think through the course of the conversation, we kind of get the feeling that he's a, a widower as well. Um, that well, he, not, not you know, as well. Sorry, she's, yeah. She's not sorry. a widow. But yeah, he's yes. a widower. Additionally, he is a widower um, and uh, and uh, has, you know, some 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 sort of job, some sort of life outside of outside of the party that was last night. And uh, and, you know, is at least intriguing. And they set a date to go out and have dinner together. 
which is sort of in the broader conversation of the play about this changing world that is swirling and catching up these characters who have, are used to the same routine is one of the changes that is a positive one for Sonia, a change that she's long awaited and that she now has and is, you know, similar to how I think Nina is a reflection that not all young people are the same as Spike. This moment is one of those moments where I think the playwright says not all change is the same as this sort of negative whirlwind of change that these characters experience. Right. Nice. Oh, I like that a lot. So, so such symmetry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So yes. you know, the, the, the sort of the final bit the final piece of the play is Vanya's play and so in a pre in, in one of the scenes I forget which scene uh Nina was, is talking to Vanya and sort of pries out of him that he has been secretly writing a play and Nina says you should let me do a staged reading for everybody and he sort of reluctantly, over the course of a couple of scenes, agrees that they were going to do that. So at one point, they go out into the lawn and they're rehearsing it. And then the 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 final big punch of the play is the presentation of Vanya's play to the group. And what what where does the play come from, Jack? Oh, uh, where does it come from? You said right. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it 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 comes from this uh, kind of concept idea that he has of of writing the play that Constantine writes in the play The Seagull, um, which is uh, uh, this this very nice play about this this young, very talented individual who is kind of, uh, thinks he's very misunderstood in his time and writes this very experimental drama is the way it's presented. And he, Vanya says, I've always wondered whether it really was just this really great artistic piece that no one understood or if it was just a bad play. <laughs> and, <laughs> and But nevertheless, he goes about and writes this very strange, ethereal, um, kind of weird play about what, about what happens after. Change. Yeah, <laughs> what happens after the ultimate awfulness of climate change and three meteors hitting the earth. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> Because Vani is very concerned about climate change. Yes. There's several mm-hmm. times throughout the play. We haven't mentioned that. Uh, but of course, that's another layering in this running theme about the, the changing world. Banya is very concerned about the dangers of climate change. So he writes this play, which is a, I think it's intended to be a one person show about a molecule after the destruction of the earth. Uh, what he ends up deciding during their rehearsal process is that a couple of voices helping out will be better. So a couple of people play various parts throughout the presentation of the play. And the play is weird. It's based it's, somewhat on his life with Sonia in their house. Right. It's like at one point that like so, Vanya and Sonia play m- molecules remembering <laughs> themselves. Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, some weird things happen with that. We probably don't have well, time to dissect that play piece by piece. but Right, right. Real, real quick, I do want to note on it. We won't dissect it or anything, but I want to note how awesome it is for Durang to include this in a masterpiece. <laughs> like, he writes this fantastic play that we have been talking glowingly about all this time, and then he throws in this other play that's like, 
just the little things that you're like, oh, this is someone's like closet project that they've well, thought about forever. It's a it's <laughs> an incredible adaption sort of of the seagull, which is where he pulls it, right? This masterpiece of a play, which includes this piece of weird, <laughs> bad drama, yep. which might be ahead of its time or might just be really bad. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, so so I just really appreciated that being able to be thrown in there yeah. and during being able to write that as well and, and in so the middle of it all. The the subtext that the 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 stuff that happens in the room, in the character relationships while the play is occurring, I think is the substance of the scene. And yes. a lot of what occurs is with Spike. Yeah. And Spike just gets increasingly bored throughout the mm. course of this thing. He he it's it's fairly long it's a lot of speeches and so he's the stage directions tell him to become increasingly more and more bored and then eventually he leans over and whispers i don't understand this play and it goes on and on and finally he gets a text yep and so he starts to just text in the middle of the show and everybody in the room all the other five characters are like what are you doing right and the stage directions (laughs) just tell spike that he's like it's not that he's trying to be rude. He's just totally unaware that it would be inappropriate at all to be texting during this show. To the point at which Masha is like, you know, telling him to stop. And he's like holding up a finger, like, just give me a second. Just give me a second. It's fine. I'll just got this. <laughs> and so what that causes is perhaps the climactic moment of the play, which is what? Well, Vanya, like, finally loses it, right? Like, so so there's been more than one, too, where, where Spike has kind of interjected, like, oh, that's kind of a raunchy remark, and it wasn't. It was just, you know, Spike saying, Spike kick, picking up on something that was, that he thought was, uh, you know, a raunchy, raunchy comment from one of the characters that was just, it was, li- it was licking stamps. Um, it was, uh, Vanya talks about licking stamps in the play, and Spike takes that as an innuendo. Well, because he and, says, um, licking the mail. Right. And Spike is like, licking the mail? That's yeah. kind of raunchy. <laughs> yeah. So that's happened before. And then uh, the texting uh, continues to happen and, and Vanya loses it, right? He, he he goes off on this very long tirade about uh, each one is, is kind of started with, we used to lick the stamps. And he just talks about all these things that used to be the shared experience of everyone before when they did one thing at a time. He talks about watching Davy Crockett and Old Yeller and how you could say, you know, when Old Yeller died to some of your friends and everyone would go, oh my gosh, I'm traumatized by that scene. And that the the unity of experience that came with that is no longer there. He talks about climate change and everything that's happening with that. Um, He talks about, uh, you know, uh, dialing phone numbers on a on a rotary phone and how long it would take to dial a number that had so many nines in it and it's just this it's a it's a long speech about all the things that he all the all the change that he is witnessing and having it condensed down into this very strong emotional reaction that he that he he, he you know he boils down eventually and simmers out and kind of says he was sorry and sits down but it's it's i think it's in my in my script i think it's four pages one two three four five pages of vanya just kind of yelling with a couple interjections and a large chunk of it is about entertainment it's about sort of the 
especially television entertainment, the way that that was such a huge part and it was such a shared experience of life back in the 50s, he says. Um, and he says, you know, I think the conclusion of the monologue is something like, I know everything wasn't all great back in the 50s. I know time moves on. I get it. I'm just saying there are things that I miss. Uh, and one of them was I miss this shared experience of Everybody in the country watching the show, knowing the same four or five shows, listening to the same two or three newscasters and having to come up with your own opinion instead of listening to the one of a hundred news channels, which matches your opinion. Uh, I I miss the fact that when I was a kid, I could go to see James Bond movies and not understand the raunchy innuendos of the characters' names. Right. Yeah. And so he goes on this – this – this incredible rant and I don't know, how does he come off? That's a great question. Um, how does he come off the rant or how does the character come out of it? How does the character look? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I don't know at the end of it. It, it almost is like he just like opens up the floodgates. Um, this is not, it doesn't feel like a structured monologue with a point. It's not like Durang is giving him his soapbox moment to criticize the changing times. He is passionately talking about why he misses the changing times, but he ends it so staggeredly, like someone would in this conversation, you know, in a real life situation where you yell for like five minutes <laughs> at someone pretty much alone, yelling at someone about this. He comes down with, maybe I'm missing the past and maybe the future is not great and i'm sorry <laughs> and that that's how he ends and and everyone is kind of shocked i think spike is very shocked um but uh i think i think he comes out of it you know as this almost spent right like i think vanya in that moment finally is got got everything off of his chest and spent himself dry um but I, I, it is it is not like a driven, powerful moment either. I don't think that's what I'm feeling at the end of it. Right. By the end, it's not. But in the middle, it certainly is. And it's this push that he has, which I, I like the way that you said it, the sort of opening of the floodgates. And, and we've talked a little bit about this in this conversation, that if you're playing Vanya, you've got to find those moments to show what's behind the floodgates. So that he doesn't just look like a tired old man who suddenly stands up and screams everybody's heads off, but that he looks like a really frustrated, exhausted person who finally has the one thing which pushes him to just let it all out. All the things that he misses, he knows that he might be wrong. He knows that things weren't great, but gosh darn it, the world is changing and he, he he's in his 50s. He doesn't want the world to change. He likes the way things used to be. They worked out for him. They were simpler. He had a purpose. He had a shared experience, which seems to be missing now. And he can't understand why these kids are sitting texting during plays. You know, this this just feeling, it, it's, it's a monologue, I think, which is, it's just so rooted in this feeling of frustra- of just helpless frustration. It's it you know it's it's not a monologue. I don't think that he even he's designed to change somebody's mind to make an argument. It's just finally putting into words this feeling of things are changing and there's nothing I can do about it. And it might not even be for the worse. But gosh darn it, I miss what it used to be like. And honestly, once you reach a certain age or you have some something in your life that it used to be like, you can identify that feeling 
even if you're not in your 50s, right? Because even as a young adult myself, I now have a portion of my life, which is the history of my life. And I can look back and say, I missed that this, this part of my life that used to be this way. Not that things are really that much worse now and not that, you know, not, not that things are bad now and they were good then, not that change necessarily is bad, but I look back and there are things that you miss. And I feel like that's, that's the sort of culminating feeling of like the world changes and there's nothing I can do about it, but gosh darn it, I miss some things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That, 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 that is that missing things from the past. I like the whole, the hopeless frustration I think is right on. I think if that, I would, I would, that would be a strong choice. I think it to, to guide you through that scene is just this. Ah, oh, you know, you, you've already said it. Just darn it, it's gone. But just how how to how to kind of fizzle out throughout that scene, right? And and, of, and that's the way that Duran created the characters too, right? Because it's three characters of a common age, an age in which people begin to maybe maybe for the wrong or maybe for the right. I don't know. I'm not at that age, but it's an age at which people, humankind, start to say, "Is it possible that the better parts of my life are behind me?" Now, hopefully that's not true for you if that's the age you're in, and I'm not saying that it is, but it's an age where people begin to ask that question, where on the flip side, Drang writes these two, especially these two young, vibrant people for whom everything is ahead of them. They haven't yet gotten their best parts as aspiring actors. They haven't yet fallen in love with the right person. They haven't yet lived long enough to have many regrets. And so he structures these this, this sort of uh, a point and counterpoint, just scene after scene, you watch this one person, this one uh, particular history of life versus this other exuberant uh, forward looking view of life. Mm -hmm. And and you get to see them kind of clash in this moment. Yeah, and you get to see where each one is weak and where it's strong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and very well balanced between the two of them. And that's kind of the the big climax of the play, right? Is this moment. I feel like a lot of things kind of denouement after this. Um we have, we of course uh find out right right as a result of this texting that's that Spike has been cheating on Masha and we very quickly move through that beat and and it turns out he was cheating on Masha with Hootie Pie and and Hootie Pie was the one who <laughs> made Masha dress up as Snow White and the one who advised her to sell the house so very quickly within like 3 pages all of a sudden it's fine we're not selling the house anymore and uh <laughs> and uh Spike leaves and actually a pretty amicable exit and then we are left with uh you know, these three siblings at the end of the play, right? And and deciding what they're going to do now. And Masha says, I'm finally going to take those parts that I haven't wanted to take where they're casting me as an old woman. Uh, because I want to pay the bills. I want to keep the house. I want to keep, you know, you two taken care of. And uh, Vanya and Sonia talk about, well, you know, maybe we should get jobs so that we have something to do <laughs> and we can contribute <laughs> a little bit instead of sitting around. And Sonia says, I'm going on a date. Mm -hmm. And they start to start to grab onto some of the best parts of Spike and Nina, this sort of positive forward looking view that, you know, maybe there's still life to come. Mm hmm. Yeah, you get the sense that 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 outburst, whatever it was, and the the realization that Masha has that you know she was you know that Spike was really awful for her, <laughs> and that she 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 shouldn't have been with him. You you have the each of these moments where they 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 come to grips with what has happened, and then 
kind of look towards future and and still big question marks in the future. It's not like, yay, happy ending. Um, everyone, you know, it, it's all going to be hard still, but somehow it's not just, it's not just manically holding onto the past. They are now walking into the future. With kind some of appreciation of the past. I love how subtle the final beat is because what are they listening to, Jackson? They're listening to Nina's MP3 player, which is playing the Beatles. The Beatles, right? I mean, so there's this... The end of the play is this moment where you have three characters who have all three of them really in their own way said, I feel like my life is over or I feel like I don't have a life anymore. They all come together at the end of the play and establish some path to go forward. But at the same time, they have this shared experience, which is what, you know, what Vanya's talking about, of listening to, to the Beatles, something yep. old, something from the past that is still so beautiful, so important, so impactful. One of those things that carries over rightly. Mm-hmm. As they're waiting for the blue heron to fly in. That darn blue heron. <laughs> <laughs> Never comes, the stinker. Comes. <laughs> well, we're about at the end of our time, and that's kind of our conversation on Vanya and Sonia and Masha and Spike. Um Hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, if there is more that you have uh, uh, in, in listening to our conversation, if there is more that you have to add to it, if you've noticed themes either while you were in it or watched it or read the play, we'd love to continue the conversation with you. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at No Script Podcast. You can also reach us by email, noscriptpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love to keep having the conversation with you. We love have having other perspectives on plays. There's obviously things that resonate with different people. So, Hit us up on there. We'd love to keep talking about it. This is episode two of season two of season No two. Script. It feels cool to be a person that has seasons now. Yeah. I'm in season <laughs> two. Uh, so if this is your first episode, there is a whole season one that you can experience. 32 episodes in season one. We don't yet know how many episodes will be in season two. We're trying to establish sort of that annual rhythm. So likely season two will end sometime during the summer, however long that ends up being. Uh, so if you like this episode, first of all, go check out season one if you haven't yeah. yet. If you're somebody who's listened to every episode, is all caught up, hey, awesome. Thank hey, wow, you. you're cool. That's great. <laughs> what we need you to do is tell other people about No Script. Share the yeah. episode on your social media. Uh, tell your friends. If you like scripts, and hopefully that's why you're listening, you know other people that like scripts because that's what friends are, people with shared interests. So tell the people in your life who have shared interests about the podcast. Get them part of the No Script Collective here, and let's continue to have conversations about great scripts in the dramatic literature lexicon. You can find our podcast on Podbean, where it's hosted. It's also on Google Play, on Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. A great way to find it is Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, where there's a link to new episodes every week. Yes, you can also, if you want to uh, commit to supporting the show uh, more monetarily, we are on Patreon as well. We have a bunch of uh, patron-only content and tiers for you to interact with there. Uh, making this show is not free. We spend a lot of time and also some hosting fees on it, and we greatly appreciate any help that uh, can be given in order to keep doing this show. We love doing the show. The, the podcast will always be free in and of itself, um, but there are some other cool things that we're kind of dreaming up for our patrons over there. So uh, if you have a minute, head on over to patreon.com slash podcast, and you can check us out over there as well. Thank you all for listening. We will see you again next week when we come at you with another script. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. This is No Script. See you next week. See ya. See ya.